Hey guys, Mato here, and welcome to this edition of Free Thinking with Mato. You know, an estimated 6.2 million Americans aged 65 and older are living with Alzheimer's dementia in 2021. It's just kind of crazy in the fact that it breaks down to about one in nine people aged 65 and older, and those numbers will increase substantially over the next few years as our population ages. Alzheimer's disease is a progressive neurological disorder that causes the brain to shrink and the brain cells to die. Alzheimer's disease is the most common cause of dementia, a continuous decline in thinking, behavioral, and social skills that affects a person's ability to function independently. My guest today is an emeritus professor of psychiatry and Johns <coughs> medicine at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. He's the founding director of the Division of Geriatric Psychiatry and the first holder of the Richmond Family Chair in Alzheimer's Disease and Related Disorders. He's published more than 300 articles and books, chapters, and is the author and co-author of eight books, including The 36-Hour Day, Practical Dementia Care, and Why the Things Why Things and Getting Older Without Getting Anxious. Dr. Peter Robbins, Ravens, sorry, Dr. Peter Ravens, thank you so much for being a part of Free Thinking with Montella Day, sir. Thanks for having me, Montel. Absolutely. I think we we, we share a mutual friend, um, Dr. Kaplan. Absolutely. He's a very good friend. Great guy. He's a great guy. One of the, one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. I really admire him and admire a lot of work he does. He works in, you know, uh, neurological disease, psychiatry. It's just incredible. At Johns Hopkins. That you're, you're, Absolutely. That's oh, how we know each other, right? Ah, uh, Super. Absolutely. Well, look, you know, a, a lot of people in the, you know, we, we just gave the numbers of 6.5 million people suffering today, but that's 6.5 million families. So that means that, you know, just add one to that, that's 12 point or 13 million people suffering, even though the individual family member isn't suffering from the symptoms of the illness, they're suffering from the illness because they have to be a caregiver to a person. Like this, I, I, you know, I have to tell you for complete disclosure that um, I'm, I and my family are going through an issue right now with an you know elderly member of our family that has has been suffered a stroke about four months ago, and um, it's completely changed the person that they are. Um, they are suffering from dementia, uh, something that the doctors at the, his care center are calling. Um, uh, or is it um is it vascular dementia well he he had a stroke and mm. now he's suffering from something like, it's like it's almost like sundown syndrome oh uh-huh yeah and but that sundown syndrome is now spread throughout almost all, all the hours of the day he he literally has this person has you know a few good hours every day um though he is uh, he's very much speech impaired from a stroke and has some physical dis disability from a stroke also 90 years old. Mm. Um, but um, he's, he is deteriorating, you know, it's on a steady decline. I, I can't say that it speeds up every single day, but you know, he has uh, issues that, you know, I, I, the entire family, you know, with us, I just said, you know, you add the family members, you add one. Well, with us, it's, you know, you had four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 
15 people who are all involved in trying to help with his care in some way. I mean, got too many primary, two, two primary caregivers who are trying to help out at a, you know, a, a live-in facility, but, you know, uh, it, and then all of his friends are trying to circle around to help him. But, you know, there's really, I don't believe this, he's going to get any better. I don't know. Um, and the doctors don't believe he's going to get any better. Um, and you can see a very steady decline in his capabilities. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like he's suffering and the family's suffering. That's why this is such a challenge. Correct. And, you know, I mean, I, 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 let's, let's start off by let's defining or not defining, but maybe you can explain what the difference is in dementia and Alzheimer's. Now, he doesn't, has not been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, but he has been diagnosed with a form of dementia. And again, they call it sundown syndrome and they've given him a couple of other terms, but what's the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's? Yeah. It's a great place to start because many people are confused about all these words. So dementia is just a general medical word that refers to any disease that starts in adulthood and impairs your ability to think clearly and to function in everyday life. So there are about 100 different illnesses that fall under that simple you know, definition of a decline in thinking. And it turns out that Alzheimer's disease, which I can define in a minute, is the most common cause, as you said. But there are many other causes, Parkinson's disease, for example, uh, occasionally a disease like lupus or multiple sclerosis can even occasionally cause dementia because it, in some people they affect thinking. But in people who've had stroke or Alzheimer's, everyone has the thinking problem, so everyone has dementia. That's crazy, you know, I, 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 when you just said that, it threw doesn't throw me, but I did suffer from a, a pretty severe um, hemorrhagic stroke now almost four years ago. I'm very blessed because, you know, um, I've been working on some other things and working on some things, but, you know, I really almost am back 100%, um, especially I never really had any difficulty cognitively even during the period of time, though, I would say that during my first five days of my stroke, I spent 30 days in the hospital. First five days of my stroke are completely gone. I don't remember any of them other mm -hmm. than every occasionally waking up and going back to sleep. Uh, uh, but then I, I set about, and, and I think some of the things that I've done and been able to do have impacted, you know, my abilities. Um, you know, I've, got myself back physically. I've had no physical, uh, very few physical symptoms that have lingered on. Um, but I, you know, I sit in fear thinking that, you know, that damage that happened to my brain is going to down the road, cause me some additional issues. Yeah. But you know, the amazing thing Montel is that particularly with a stroke, which is a one-time event, the brain can recover and it's amazing. Um, it continues to recover for a few years. So the fact that you're probably still getting a little better um, illustrates the fact that um, there's a lot of recovery in the brain if you do the rehab and continue to work and think and stimulate yourself. So glad okay. you're doing so well. Well, I thank you so much. And you know, and again, you know, it's it's one of those illnesses that I don't. I just think people don't have as much information about as as we need, um, especially from a family standpoint. I mean, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about once dementia starts, is it something that can reverse itself? Is it something that can, you know, um, 
your person can get better from? Right. So again, as I mentioned, about 100 different diseases can cause it. So it really depends on the cause. Probably 1% of people who have the symptoms, it turns out that they're due to medication or a medical illness, like even thyroid disease can cause the symptoms. So it's very wow. important that everybody be evaluated by a doctor to make sure, even though it's rare, that they don't have one of the, the rare causes that can be treated. But for most people who have dementia, um, it's a progressive illness um, and gradually gets worse over time. Some of the causes go more rapidly, others go more slowly. Um, and if it's due to having had two or three different strokes, um, if you can stop the strokes from happening, you can stop it from progressing. Okay, what are, what are some of the signs of the onset of dementia? Probably the, the we, we focus on the fact that people are forgetful and, and, and can't remember things and repeat themselves. Um, but equally common is the fact that people have start to have trouble doing things they've easily done all their lives. So sometimes the first symptom is someone who's always paid their taxes, for example, and then all of a sudden has trouble doing that. Or someone uh, who's been a good housekeeper or liked cooking they start to have trouble doing that or they start having trouble doing their finances. So the earliest symptoms are often sort of organizing life and doing things that you've always done automatically. Is this just a natural part of life, the aging process, or, or is it something that, you know, 10% of people will have, 20% of people have, or 90% won't have? Yeah. I, um, most people now think that, no, this is not normal aging. Um, it's a group of diseases that starts to become common when you get older. Um, you know, the older you are, the higher your risk of cancer, the higher your risk of stroke and heart attack, and the higher your risk of Alzheimer's. So they're associated with age, but we don't think age is the cause. And there are many people over 100 who are absolutely clear and normal in their thinking. So we think it's a disease distinct from aging, but that aging is a risk factor. And, you know, and then and, and thinking in that way, and, and I've seen some stories and some things, reports written recently that kind of say aging is a disease. Is that true? Uh, I, I guess it gets down to what, what you define as a, as disease. Right. Um, but, but again, um, uh, if, if you define disease as there's something in the body that's abnormal, um, and you look at the brains, there are, um, you know, over age 80, um, a large number of people have absolutely normal brains and a significant proportion do have diseases in their brain. But um, if we just look at brain aging, um, even up to age 100, it doesn't appear inevitable. So uh, I think it's distinct. And I think it's helpful to, to realize that it is distinct from, from aging. Um, but that it really does interfere with people's lives. And that's the, the hard part of it. Who's most at risk for dementia? Well, like a lot of common conditions, it's a combination of genetics and environment. And we don't quite you know, know how to tease all that out. But probably somewhere around 50 or 60% of the risk is genetic. So that means that um, somewhere around 50% has to do with something in the in the environment. So it does run in families. 
you know, if you have a parent with it or a brother or sister, your chances are of getting Alzheimer's disease specifically are, are increased. Um, but we also think that um, if we work hard to control blood pressure, particularly beginning in midlife, um, if, if people stay active mentally and physically um, and socially, um, and they control their other risk factors for heart disease, um, get, lower their cholesterol, keep their weight down, exercise, as I said, um, all those things can be somewhat preventive. So um, inactivity um, and vas brain, vascular disease in your body, heart disease, et cetera, probably all somehow contribute to Alzheimer's. Wow. And what are the stages of Alzheimer's? Because, I mean, also, I mean, I read an article also recently that Alzheimer's is something that can start as early as in your 20s, right? But won't manifest itself sometimes until 40, 50, 60, 70. Exactly right. So there are two aspects of it. First, very rare cases start in people's 40s and 50s. So it's not only old people, but those are really unusual cases. However, what we have learned in the past few years is that the brain changes of Alzheimer's, they're occurring uh, 15 to 20 years before the first symptom. So if somebody develops symptoms in their 70s, their brain's probably been changing since they were in their 50s or early 60s. Wow. And I mean, it, 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 I'm just wondering with, you know, research and with the science that we have available today, are we looking at ways that can slow that progression down if in fact you identify those changes in the 50s? Absolutely. That, that is a huge focus of research. And um, just in the last couple of years, brain scans have been developed that seem to be able to identify these very early brain changes. And uh, we're really on the cusp of having blood tests and spinal fluid tests that might be able to detect the abnormal proteins uh, long before people have symptoms. So the hope in the long run is we figure out who's going to get who's at risk in their 50s and 60s, start them on some type of treatment, and then they never develop the disease because all these diseases um, in some way or another are related to abnormal proteins. And the hope is if we can remove those proteins from the body and from the brain, we'll prevent the disease from ever happening. You know, I'm on the um, Ann Romney's uh, Neurological Center Board in uh, Brigham and Women's in um, Boston. And uh, this is uh, on every one of our, our board meetings. And Ann Romney started it because of MS, but also they're looking at all diseases of yeah. the brain. And, um, you know, uh, I have some fascinating um, board meetings with them, uh, just listening to the, the research and where they are moving forward. So are there treatment protocols that are currently available for patients with Alzheimer's? I remember, about, yeah, about 20 years ago, um, a few medications were approved. Uh, and it turns out what these medicines do is they don't stop the disease from progressing, but they help about a third of people with their symptoms so they can mildly improve memory symptoms. But uh, just recently, the FDA approved the first drug um, that removes one of these abnormal proteins called the beta amyloid protein. Now, that's the, the great news is that this protein, um, the, the drug is very dramatic in removing the protein. That's really great. So far, that hasn't translated into dramatic improvement in the people taking it. But 
we really only have information out about 18 months or two years, and it might take longer to have an effect. I think that's the hope. Um, but at least now we've moved toward uh, drugs that target what at least many people, um, including people at the Brigham there, uh, the group that the, at the N, N. Romney Center are focused on. And that, that really does offer hope. And if those drugs aren't right track toward preventing it in, in some way or another, I think. No, but now does that give you some uh, insight in the thinking that maybe is not as, well, if the drug works dramatically at reducing the protein, but it doesn't reduce the symptoms, are we looking in the wrong direction or we still think we're looking in the right direction? Well, you're thinking like a scientist. It could be either one. It may be that it's the wrong protein. It has nothing to do with the disease. It may be that, remember, if this has been going on for 15 or 20 years, right. maybe you have to take it at the beginning. That if, if you wait 15 years when you have the very most subtle symptoms, it's already too late. Many brain cells are already dead. Your brain is shrinking, as you mentioned in the introduction. Um, so I, I think going forward, um, people will be targeting earlier and earlier um, times to hopefully maybe stop things from getting getting to the point where they're irreversible. Gotcha. And and at least knowing that there is a medication that can eliminate some of the protein, there may be an opportunity to find maybe we'll identify another protein or something else that's leaving a marker that we haven't even discovered yet. Is that right? Exactly. There, so there are two abnormal proteins in Alzheimer's disease, one called this amyloid and the other called tau. So some scientists think you have to remove both. And it's not, so the amyloid comes first in most people, the tau is second. And perhaps you have to really prevent both from forming to stop the disease and allow the brain to recover. Now, does there seem to be a higher prevalence of the disease in recent man than there was in, you know, earlier man? I mean, you know, let's look back, um, you know, 500 years ago or even look back 100 years ago. Did we see the same prevalence of Alzheimer's that we see now? Or is it because of the fact that we are now 100 years later living that much longer? Yeah. So therefore, there's this just happens to be something that's happen because of you know our own ability to live longer yeah well that's a great question um what we do know is the disease has been around for thousands of years their descriptions of the disease uh in in egyptian papyri that are four thousand years old so it's not a new disease um and it may well be that um it's just that we're for the first time in human history the average person is living to age 80. You know, even uh, in the 1960s, average life expectancy was only about 65. And it turns out it really, as you asked earlier, it's it's associated with aging. So um, it's an uncommon disease at 65. But by age 80, about 20% of people have Alzheimer's. So something is happening with aging. And this is the first time in human history where so many people have lived into that age of risk. You know, I know that maybe you can <clears throat> speak to this a little bit. There's some studies that have linked, you know, this between common medications and the higher risk for dementia. Is there a link between maybe the processed foods that we're eating now 
and a higher risk for dementia or or for Alzheimer's. Is there a link there? Do you think? Well, I mean, people have been looking at that. I think so far there's no smoking gun. On the other hand, I think there's pretty good evidence that uh, people who eat a so-called Mediterranean diet, less red meat, um, more olive oil rather than butter or other fats, a lot of fruits and vegetables, that there is some evidence that that can lower the risk. So it's not a slam dunk yet, but that would go along with the idea that maybe the modern diet has contributed. And I, I think it's still an open question, but an important one. And that's that kind of brings me to a question of you know, is there something that you just said it, you know, the Mediterranean type diet and eating, you know, less animal-based fats and and more plant-based oils and things could could that potentially help delay the onset of, of dementia and Alzheimer's? Uh, I think the answer is potentially yes. You know, and I think again, while the evidence isn't a slam dunk yet, uh, personally, I I think the evidence is good enough where and it's not just Alzheimer's. We know that that kind of a diet lowers the risk of heart attack and stroke. So, you know, it's a triple win. Um, so I do think the evidence is good enough that we, we, we all, all ought to be trying to eat better in that way. Absolutely. And, 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 and not just from a red meat standpoint, but, you know, I, I often wonder about <clears throat> just the level of the processing of the food that we do now. You know, it's it's very it's very weird to me. Very interesting. You hear all these people screaming and crying about. I don't know what's in the vaccine for COVID. Yet they will put anything in their mouth that you can put in front of them to eat, and they don't know what's in their food. So, I mean, could there be a connection between some of the other chemicals that we've been using, and without using almost without any you know abatement at all, could that also be causing some of this or be a contributor? Well, again, I think it's still an open question. I, I don't think anyone strongly linked it to Alzheimer's disease, but um, there is reason to think that certain chemicals are linked to developing Parkinson's disease. And perhaps half of people who develop Parkinson's disease eventually develop dementia. So in a way, the answer is if you're looking at dementia broadly, I think the answer is yes, it may well, those processed foods or other chemicals in the environment, pesticides might be contributing. Wow. And what about, you know, like, you know, in, in recent times, I say recent, the last 30 to 40 years, since we've had more contact sports at an earlier age, you know, uh, in schools and things like that, could, you know, the idea of TBIs or, or smaller TBIs and those kinds of things affect the brain you know, you've got children playing football and contact sports and wrestling, all these things from about the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, you know, and now we're starting to see those kids, my age group, 50s, 60s, getting to a point where now there is a higher rate of dementia among this generation. Could some of that be a contributing factor also? Well, um, I think the answer is yes. Um if you look at concussions, people have had concussions, um, and it's they're most studied in, in contact sports, not just football, but uh, what we call soccer, you know, sure, in football, um, hockey. Um, people do seem to be at higher risk of developing dementia, so-called CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. We mm -hmm. hear a lot about that in, in football players, 
And it turns out that the abnormality in the brain of those people is the tau protein. And I mentioned before the tau protein, the abnormal tau is seen in Alzheimer's. So there could well be a link between repeated head trauma uh, and Alzheimer's. People have looked hard for that um, for 30 or 40 years. And it's, you know, it's hard to get good information. What happened to you when you were 20 or 30? Sure. Um, but but um, I think there's reason to think that that's one of the contributors. I mean, I think there's been some research done recently on the fact that, you know, one of the groups, you know, young women, um, a lot of young females who play soccer, you know, end up with lots of different maladies in their mid-30s and 40s and early 50s. And when you go back and take a look at some of their early life careers, well, they were playing the sport that they thought wasn't a contact sport, but bouncing a ball off the front of their head 30 times of practice and trying to snap a ball with their head, you know, during a game, you know, caused repeated TBIs that we're now starting to recognize, right? I think that might well be true. Yeah, it's, it's a real concern. Absolutely. And, you know, what about the impact of, let's say, alcohol consumption? Has research shown that alcohol consumption plays a part in this at all? Hey, well, most people believe that heavy alcohol use over an extended period of time does cause a dementia. I would say it's not 100 percent of scientists agree, but many people do think that. Um, no one's really linked that to Alzheimer's disease specifically or other kinds of dementia, except um, uh, to general dementia. And the challenge in part is that many people who drink heavily don't eat well um, or experience head trauma. They fall down, they hit their head a lot. Um, so it's been hard to disentangle all those things. But I, alcohol, um, heavy use of alcohol very likely is a cause of dementia. And, you know, what about the, again, you, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but how about your genetic component? You know, what's a, the connection? I mean, if your parents have dementia, will you probably have it or you are at a greater risk of having it? Well, you're definitely at greater risk. If you have one parent who had uh, an Alzheimer-like dementia, your risk is about triple someone whose parents lived to their 80s and didn't have it. So there's a very clear genetic contribution. Um and a number of genes have been identified that contribute um, to the risk. So it, it might be that in the future, um, when, we, when we're trying to discover in people's 50s and 60s who's at risk, it might be a combination of looking at their genes and doing one of these tests that measures the abnormal proteins. Gotcha. And I mean, you know, you know you let's say okay, we're, you're already at the point where you've identified a family member, you know, and, and who has dementia or has is suffering from Alzheimer's. Two different things again, Alzheimer's. Right now, we don't know there is no cure, mm -hmm. but are there things that are important for people, the family members or caregivers, to consider when it comes to caring for loved ones who are suffering from Alzheimer's dementia or dementia period? Like, you know, in our case, I mean, as family member of ours who. You know, I, I, it, it's, it's been really, really a strain on the family over the course of the last four months because, you know, um, he has he has some good days and then he just has some days that just don't even seem like the same person. Mm -hmm. And now we're starting to recognize that it's not that it's every couple of days, though it seems like there's a periodicity to his outburst. 
But those are, that's when I think he probably gains enough strength to go ahead and have an outburst. Um, he's probably having those outbursts silently in his bed. And then every couple of days he feels strong enough to get up and then really, really act out. But I don't think that it's something that's happening every couple of days. I think it's probably happening from my perspective. I think it's happening more often than are we all think it is. Is there anything that we should think about in trying to care for him? I mean, there are day I tell you, I'll say this. He has these outbursts and these he acts out. And then, you know, the next day he doesn't even remember that he had that outbreak or he acted out. And if you explain it to him, then he he is very empathetic and, and mm-hmm. saddened by the fact that that happened. But then again, it will happen again the next day. And he doesn't remember that it happened that day. So, I mean, how do we, is, is there any value in trying to remind him that, you know, you're, you're doing these things when he may not even remember that you had that conversation tomorrow? Well, let me come to that last question. But I think you started out asking, you know, are there things that families can do to maybe help make the situation better? And, and I think in general, I think the answer is absolutely yes. I think first, mm-hmm. You want to be as informed as possible about the person's disease. Again, dementia is just a general term. So Alzheimer's disease is different from someone who's had a a stroke and has behavior problems. And there are other diseases. I mentioned Parkinson's disease, frontotemporal dementia, Lewy body dementia. So there's a whole range of diseases, and each one has different symptoms. And so I believe that the starting point is the more the family can be informed about that person's illness, the more knowledgeable they'll be, and the more then that kind of leads you to try different things. I think the second thing um, is to make sure the person has a good primary care doctor um, who's really looked at all their medications, make sure that they're taking the medications they need to be taking, but they're on the lowest possible effective dose, that there's no new medical problem causing trouble, because that can contribute. Then I think the third thing um, is to um, look at uh, potential triggers of the person um, in the behavior. So do they occur, as you said, at certain times of the day? Um, Are there certain people around when when the challenging problems occur? Um, Is the person tired? Do they need more exercise, more naps? It's different for each person. But often you can identify triggers that bring it out. Um, And then I think, finally, it's really important, and and I think you're doing this, for caregivers to talk about their own distress and needs um, and to recognize that the more frustrated and discouraged that they are, the more frustrated and discouraged the ill person is. And so that if you can get help yourself for some of your frustrations, and sometimes it's, you know, as you're doing, as a family talking with each other, sometimes it's talking with a minister, a counselor, a doctor. Um, that If that helps the caregiver, that can help the ill person. So I do think there's a lot that can be done. Um, and there are specialists who focus on the behavior challenges like the ones that you're describing. Uh, I would just say in answer to your question, if he doesn't remember um, that he does these things and that's the usual state, I don't think reminding him the next day is really beneficial in the sense that it just makes him feel bad. 
but at the time it's beyond his control. So, you know, and that's just as a general sort of comment. Got it. Got it. Okay. Because we thought maybe that, you know, the idea of just not trying to say you did X, Y, Z, but just, you know, you were a little bit, you were a little mean last night. And you go, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. You know, maybe thought that that empathetic feeling going across him might help him prevent him from the next time, but that's yeah. not necessarily what's been happening. I don't think it's going to be preventive, but I do think to say to him, you know, you had a really rough night last night. You know, you were, you were upset and yelling and agitated and we know it's not something you're doing on purpose, but you know, I would be positive. We're with you. We love you. We care about you. We're going to do everything we can to make you feel comfortable. Um, but we know that sometimes you have problems that you can't control. So I do think you want to be empathic. I think you're absolutely right. But it's not realistic to expect him the way you're describing it to control those things because he really doesn't remember it. Um, so he can't learn from it the way I hope you or I would if we were causing problems and someone said, you know, this happened and you realize it and then you try to change things. Got it. Do you think there will ever be a cure or is there one? I mean, you know, we know this one drug, but I, I, I'm sure science is working as feverishly as possible to get to this because we do recognize that, you know, we're getting ready to come up against the 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 tide. I mean, mm -hmm. the, 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 with our aging population, this is going to grow and grow and grow. And there's going to be more and more and more families affected. But do you think there'll ever be a cure in the next 10 years? Let's say in the next 10 years. I don't know about the next 10 years. I, yes, I'm optimistic on two fronts. First, I think the biggest hope is prevention. Um, that, I, as we've already talked about, there are dietary things people can do. There are activity things people can do, stimulation. I think that's going to be important. We, we can't change our genetics, but, but we can change how our genes uh, interact with the environment. So I think that's part of it. Um, second, I do think that um, we're going to learn more and more. The, the, the amount of information we've learned just in the past five or six years is amazing. And so I think the rate of new knowledge about all these diseases is increasing dramatically as we bring more and more researchers to focus on it. So, yes, I think the different causes of dementia, we're going to find different treatments for them, whether we'll be able to reverse the brain damage that's already been done, I don't know. But I do think in the long run, we're going to be able to prevent most or maybe all cases by in, by a variety of interventions, both on the environment and maybe medication and other things that we discover. And and if you, uh, one more bit of advice for those people who are the caregivers or those people who are the other family members that are suffering from the family member's dementia, what other bit of advice would you give them? Again, I think the more informed you can be, um, the more you talk with other people so you can get some of your own uh, frustrations out, um, and the more supportive then that you can be to the ill person, I think the better for you um, uh, as a person and as a family member. Again, you know, when things are like, when, when we face really challenging problems like this, sometimes we're prone to blame other people or blame the environment or blame God, blame whatever it is. And I, I think 
if we can focus on the positives, that is, if we can focus on how we, we're all in this together, um, we're not blaming the person, we understand it's an illness, we're looking for solutions. Uh, to me, that's a win-win. It's good for us as caregivers. And then that trickles down to the person with the disease. So that has a positive um, benefit to them. And I think then the more that we can then engage them at whatever level they're at, you know, if they're still a great grandparent, bring in the grandkids. If they still enjoy playing ball, we want to engage them in that. Figure out what the person can still do and, and try to help them maximize that. That helps them. And it also helps us as a family member because we know we're doing things to help them. Got it. Got it. Dr. Ravens, I can't say thank you enough for being a part of free thinking today. Um, I, I know this information that you've shared, a lot of our viewers are just going to just absorb and eat up and, and may even possibly want some more. So, you know, you will always have a home here whenever you want to come back. Great. And if I can just plug two books that I've written that might help. Please, people. please one, do. Please do. One is called The 36-Hour Day. Got and it. that's actually been out for 40 years. It's a We revise it every five years. And then a newer book is called Is It Alzheimer's? And both of them are targeting family members and giving them what I hope is positive information about how to manage and cope with things. Both of those are available on Amazon? Yes, they are. So and if people want to reach out to you, I mean, not that you know, I want to inundate you with emails, but is there a way that they can reach out to you or find out more about you? Um, I have a website, just my name, peterrabins.com, and that's available for people to contact me. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Ravens, for being a part of the show. Like I said, you always have a home here if you want. And I want to make sure all of you have been tuning in today. Just please make sure you continue to tune in to Free Thinking with Montel. Have a great day. Thanks for joining me on Free Thinking with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please send us your comments. Thank you.